a privilege to be here with you this morning. Unfortunately, my um, family's not with me this morning. Uh, I've been actually on the road all week because uh, in Colombia there was a, missions, a joint missions conference between, I think, six churches there. And uh, so from Wednesday through yesterday, uh, we were at a different church every night. And then last night I was in uh, Ebenezer Rock Hill for their missions conference. So it's been a missions conference week here mm -hmm. at, in South Carolina, and uh, that's really exciting. It's exciting to see so many churches in South Carolina um, uh, having missions conference, talking about missions uh, this week. And it's a privilege to be here then with you uh, today. Um, one of the, uh, it's really interesting because the, uh, the topic today, and I already uh, had this with some of the children this morning, uh, we talked about this topic, is fear. And uh, it's interesting, you know, I've, I've addressed this topic several times this year on our furlough, but it just seems like uh, the longer I'm here, the more fears get added on to that. So it just, it's always a current topic, and for any age, really, right? You talk to children about fear, they have fears. But sometimes I think we as adults might even have more fears than children do. And so um, we're going to talk about fear, but we're also going to talk about how God can replace that fear with faith and then how we can see the fruit of our obedience to him. Um, we're going to read from Acts chapter 9. Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to that, I forgot which uh, page that is in the Pew Bible. <coughs> That would be page 1,706. And you know, this story is a very dramatic story. Uh, it's one of the most significant events in the history of the early church, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. And so Saul is the main figure in this story, but I want to also pay attention to another man in the story who played an important role named Ananias. So we read from Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of God. So this story is really a story of fear, faith, and also fruit. Fear, faith, and fruit. In Acts chapter 7, we learn of the execution of Stephen, the first martyr. And Saul was, the, was, was there. He was there holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And then the persecution begins in chapter 8, and Saul was the architect of that persecution. He goes from holding those cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen to, quote, ravaging the church, going door to door, dragging men and women into prison, tearing them away from their children and families. And honestly, when I read that, living in Berlin, I think of Berlin in 1930s and how the Nazis and the Gestapo went from door to door to round up the Jews. The incredible joy and excitement that the church experienced at Pentecost was over and in its place was fear. So most of those early Christians fled Jerusalem. They were running from Saul and the persecution, but they were not running from their newfound faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't come to them at Pentecost just to abandon them when things got difficult. And in fact, that's often precisely when we see the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives most evident is when things get difficult. It says in chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So even as they fled Jerusalem, they told people about Jesus in Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? Judea, Samaria? The persecution did not create refugees. It created missionaries. And the first two steps of the Great Commission were being fulfilled. You shall be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. So God was using Saul even before he became an apostle. While he was still persecuting the church, God was using him to bring the gospel to other people to fulfill his mission. And as the Apostle Paul would later write in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Evil, suffering, it all works for our good and for the good of his church. And so already we see this pattern of fear, faith, and fruit. There's the fear of Saul and the persecution, the faith to continue preaching the gospel, and the fruit of accomplishing those first two steps in the Great Commission. Now we come to chapter 9, our reading for today. Saul probably realized that limiting his efforts to Jerusalem wasn't enough. 
I mean, these people won't shut up about Jesus. I've got to go after them. They're getting followers outside of Jerusalem. And Saul hated this. He's hated it so much that this news literally made him like a rampaging wild animal. And he got permission to hunt down the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned or to be killed. And then it happened, that supernatural event. And he was literally blinded by the light of the risen Jesus Christ on the road. And Jesus simply asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Jesus identifies with his church. And we read in other parts of uh, scripture how he talks about, you know, whenever you do good things, you're also doing it to me. And it's the same with the persecution. Whenever you are persecuting my church, you are doing it to me. And he tells Saul what he must do. And so Saul is led into the city of Damascus, and he waits in the darkness without eating or drinking anything, and he prays. And now Ananias enters the story. Ananias was a disciple of Jesus in Damascus. And the Lord speaks to him in a vision, and he says, go to this house. Here's the address. There's a man there named Saul of Tarsus, and he's praying. He's talking to me. He's, he's repentant. He's open. And by the way, I've already given him a vision that you're coming. <laughs> Have you ever been volunteered for anything before? I know sometimes my wife is on the phone. I, hear, I overhear her talking to somebody, and she says, you know, oh, yeah, Jeff's great at that. He'll be right over. <laughs> well, the Lord does this as well. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, that he's already preparing good works in advance for us to walk in. And so he tells Ananias what he must do. But Ananias' first reaction, and I think we can all understand this, is fear. He says, Lord, I've, I've heard from many about this man, what he's done to the, the Christians in Jerusalem. And he's got authority from the chief priest to do the same to us. I don't think fear is sinful. Ananias' fear is justified. But when that fear prevents us from carrying out God's will, then it becomes sin. And instead, we need to take our fears to our Heavenly Father through prayer. That's why Jesus came to reconcile us with him so that we could go with our fears and place our trust in him. And he says to us over and over in his word, I know everything about you. I know your deepest fears. I still love you, and I've loved you from the very beginning. Come to me. Trust me with those fears. What are your deepest fears? It was great asking the children that this morning. They all drew different pictures of what their fears were. And um, some of them were fear of, afraid of spiders. Some were afraid of tornadoes. Um, one was afraid of her little baby brother getting sick. It was really sweet. We all have fears. I have fears. For the past 20 years, we've been working together with German Christians to plant new churches in what was East Berlin, where most people are atheists without any religion. And I was getting pretty comfortable doing that because there was a period in my life where I was also a skeptic, where I was also questioning the existence of God. But then we started to feel a call to reach the many Muslims in our city. And, uh, the problem was, though, that they weren't really anywhere near where we lived and worked with the church. 
And I wondered why God had placed this on our hearts when it wasn't apparent where there was an open door for it. But then suddenly in 2015, Germany opened its doors to almost a million refugees, mostly from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, many who were Muslim. And they were coming to our neighborhood. And then we have to be honest, we had to confront some fears, even though we felt God leading us in this direction. When it was happening, you know, all of a sudden, some of those fears came. After 9-11, it's very easy to have those kinds of fears. And Suzanne shared with me that she was struggling with that. But we prayed about this. And when 200 refugees came to our neighborhood on buses late one night, stay in a school gym, we had bunk beds set up in the school gym for them, she was one of 60 volunteers to go greet them. Many of them weren't Christians. There were only a handful of us who were Christians there. And Suzanne, I was staying home with the boys, and Suzanne came home. You know, she went there with these fears. She came home just in tears. And she just said, they're just so beautiful, beautiful people. They came off the bus. They were so, they were tired. They were scared. And they gave me hugs. They were so happy to see us and so happy to have a safe place and a place to sleep. And they just said, thank you so much. We love you. And they're broken English. I also had fears. And I didn't have as strong of fears for my physical safety, but it was more because it was unfamiliar territory for me. I mean, I have an adventurous spirit. That's kind of what led me to go to Berlin in the first place. But um, honestly, like I said, I got comfortable with our ministry to German young people. I mean, teenagers don't scare me. Atheists don't scare me. But getting out of that comfort zone and trying to connect with a completely different culture than a German one, that was scary. Not even being able to use some of the methods that I had grown accustomed to using over the years, that, that was scary. How, what do I say and how do I connect? And I had to pray as I stepped into those refugee shelters for the first time. Okay, God, you got me here. Now, now you have to lead me through this. You have to guide me because I, I don't really know what to do. We give our fears to God, and he replaces them with faith. Ananias vented his fears, and God answered with his plan. He said, this is the guy. He's going to take the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He's going to speak boldly to kings and officials. And the Lord adds also, I'll also show him how much he will suffer in my name. So God told Ananias that he's going to go from the one who's persecuting the church to the one who is persecuted himself. So Ananias stepped out in faith. And I imagine him as he steps into that room with the infamous Saul of Tarsus. And he thinks about all the evil that this man has done. But he sees instead a broken, blind, repentant man alone in the dark. And he asks himself, how can I be afraid? And he knows that the Lord has been preparing Saul's heart for this moment. As Suzanne and I meet these refugees that so many people in the Western world are afraid of, we see people who are traumatized, desperate. They're questioning the world and their worldview. They're searching for a better life for their children and searching for new friends in a different culture. And we see how God is preparing their hearts for this moment. There's a sense of urgency. We, 
we know this moment won't last forever while they're asking these deep questions. But we need to step out in faith, and we need to do it now, because God is already at work among them. Ananias had the privilege of seeing the fruit of his obedience almost immediately. Saul began preaching in the synagogues, Jesus is the Son of God. Days earlier, he would have said that that was blasphemy. But now he knew, and he wasn't going to keep it to himself. And everyone was stunned. If the church's worst enemy can be transformed into its greatest advocate, then truly nothing can stand against the gospel, can it? Through Saul's persecution, the first two steps of that great commission were being fulfilled. And through his conversion, that third step would begin as Paul would take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Now, we don't really hear anything more about Ananias after this. He probably didn't reach as many people as Paul did, but he didn't have to. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed in Germany. <coughs> Refugee ministry is overwhelming. We can't do everything for everybody, but we don't have to do it all ourselves. We invest in those that the Lord gives us, and then those we invest in multiply and reach others, some that we could never reach ourselves. One of the ways that I connected with refugee men was through playing chess. I, I met Nuruddin this way. He was an older man from Syria, and he was a philosophy teacher in Syria. He was a very smart man and a great chess player. We became good friends, and Suzanne invited him over for dinner. He even cooked for us, and uh, uh, my sons loved his Syrian chicken and rice dish. And he became like part of our family. And then he also took a 13-week course we offered for all these different refugees that we had met and befriended, uh, me and some of the other people from the German church. And this course was called Al-Masirah, which means the journey in Arabic. And it was developed by people from the Middle East who came out of Muslim families who became Christians. And so it goes through the Old Testament prophets, something that Muslims are familiar with because those, those prophets are also considered prophets in the Quran but we look at what they say about the Messiah. And then we look at Jesus, who's also considered a prophet. But we look at how he fulfilled these prophecies, that he is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. And it turns out that the Lord had been working in Nuruddin's heart even before he left Syria. He had met Christians there. He had been thinking about these things. And then when he came to Germany, those thoughts intensified, and the Lord worked more in him. And after this course, he was convinced that Jesus was his Lord and Savior, and he wanted to be baptized. And when he was baptized in our church, he told the whole church, Jesus is my life. And Jesus truly is Nuruddin's life. He continues to witness to all his friends. He invites us to have dinner with his Muslim friends, and he shares his faith without fear. And he reaches people that we could never reach. There are an estimated 20 million Muslims in Europe, as well as many other immigrants and refugees from all sorts of people groups. Some of them are unreached people groups, like the Yazidis, who, usually, who only lived in northern Iraq and Syria, and now they were forced to flee. And Germany has the second largest population of Yazidis in the world now, and they're on our doorstep. Some people look at all these refugees and they see fear, but if we really trust God's promises and his sovereignty, and it really looks like more of an opportunity. 
These are fields ripe for the harvest, and they're unreached people groups coming to our doorstep, and they need help, and they're willing to be helped by Christians. We have the privilege of joining, when we go back this summer, a new team called Bridge Europe, currently made up of 10 families in France, Germany, and the UK, many of whom have experience living in some of these countries, like Turkey. And our goal is to be a bridge between Muslims and Christ, and a bridge between the local European church and Muslims. Our family's going to be facing a big change next summer. We'll be moving to the opposite corner of the country, from Berlin to the Black Forest, and probably like moving from New York City to, uh, <laughs> to here, you know, it's going to be a big change. Um, and uh, so we covet your prayers in that. And our vision is to be a part of what we've already had the privilege of experiencing in Berlin, to help Muslims in Europe to share Christ, share the gospel with them, and to see them come to faith in and become part of healthy gospel-centered churches. I want to thank you for your support and for your encouragement in this. And thank you for praying for us. And we really couldn't do it without you and without the churches who are supporting us to go there. It's a privilege to represent you in Germany. And we ask that God be glorified through the work that we're doing together for his kingdom here in South Carolina and in Germany and in Europe. And let's not, let's not allow fear to be a roadblock to ministry, not there and not here. And maybe... Maybe some of you are called to be a Paul, an Apostle Paul, and, and reach lots of people and go places. But many of you might be called to be more like Ananias, just to overcome your fear, to reach out to one person at a time, to step out in faith and touch somebody who God is already working on, to walk into those good works that God is preparing in advance for you to do so that the Holy Spirit can produce fruit in their lives and in yours. And then that person will reach others that you could never reach. So join me in stepping out in faith, and then we can celebrate together the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of all the nations that the Lord is bringing to our doorstep. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we, you are mighty. You have demonstrated to us over and over again in your word and in our own lives that no one is greater than you. And yet we confess that we still give in to our fears. Lord Jesus, you said in this world we will have trouble, but that we can take heart because you have overcome the world for us. And your perfect love casts out fears. You've given us faith to walk on water, but like Peter, we often doubt and we let fear overtake us and we allow ourselves to sink. Thank you, Jesus, that in your great mercy, you reach out your hand to us and continue to assure us that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to live with a thankful heart and to show your great love to everyone around us. Help us to come to you with our fears and to open our hearts for you to replace that fear with faith. Faith that you will lead us to others who are open to receive the good news. And Father, let us see fruit Fruit in our lives as the Holy Spirit makes our faith stronger and our reliance on you greater. And fruit in the lives of others as they are reconciled to you. In Jesus' name we pray.